You're listening to Creatives Prevail, unraveling the stories of creative professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creatives Prevail. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Ryan Scott, news desk writer for the renowned publication Slashfilm. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, from interviewing filmmakers such as Ridley Scott to how he started to land freelance gigs from sites such as MovieWeb, Inverse, and Fangoria. Ryan and I also jump into how we prepare for interviews as well as conferences. Fun fact, my very first podcast I was interviewed on was one of Ryan's. He's a close dear friend of mine, and I had such an amazing time with this interview. He's such a compassionate person. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this time with him, and it was great to not only talk about how far he has come, but also what we both have accomplished in our own careers. So on just on a personal note, I am ridiculously proud of Ryan. I've known him for a very long time, and I really do feel like he has a lot to offer. So anyways, without further ado, let's get right into it. Hey, Ryan, how's it going as you are taking a quick sip? <laughs> Oh man, you see, you totally got me here. I thought you were gonna do some nice intro or something, and there I am. No, we're, no, thinking, we're, we're going right into it. We're just so jumping I, right into it. Okay. Uh, right hi, Mike. Right I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, thanks. <laughs> so, for my listeners, they know that I do the I do the uh, pre-recorded intro ahead of time that talks all about the amazing guests I'm about to. Now, have. just so you know, I'm not a terrible friend. I have listened to your podcast before, and I did know that, like in my head, I knew that. But like, you know, anyway, I so I just just so you know. I appreciate that. In fact, I did not know that you were a listener of the podcast. So afterwards, I would love to hear all your feedback of how how terrible I'm doing. Well, no, no. Now, in the spirit of not lying to you, I can't say that I'm like a regular listener, but I have listened to your podcast. I appreciate that. Honestly, that's the thing is I it, it means a lot to me whether someone listens to just one episode or a part of an episode or every single episode. I mean, I. I mean, if, if anybody listened to every single episode, please let me know, because that is truly amazing. I mean, I think before during this recording, I think I just released episode 161 or something like that. So that's a lot of episodes to go through at this point. So, um, Ryan, let's talk about you, though, because you and I, we go way back. And I was thinking about uh, recently. But ten, about, like, but just about 10 years, probably this summer. Mm -hmm. this this past summer was probably like an actual like like a decade because because we were doing the podcast in 2013 our podcast which we'll talk mm -hmm. about and that's how we met so that so yeah it must have been like 10 years yeah it was through a mutual friend of mine uh chelsea from fairy bones hi chelsea uh she uh also was a guest on the creative prevail podcast before and uh she said you were set up at what's now called phoenix fan fusion doing podcast interviews and she asked me hey i have a friend who's doing a podcast you want to get interviewed and i i think ryan that you were one of the very first people that uh that i was on a podcast for i think your podcast was one of the very first ones i was ever on so yeah, i was, that was happy about that i was very well, that was yeah well because that was we were doing this in 2013 me and my former co-host and one of my very best friends in the world uh uh am rogers as anyone would have known him uh by on the radio adventure club podcast uh, rest in peace um we were doing it i'm not saying podcasts were new at that time but they were not what they are now like where where it was easy like right now you and i are doing you're in arizona i'm in texas i'm in austin this would not have been really all that possible when i was doing it 
like you would have had to do it over Skype. The sound would have been bad. It wouldn't, you know, and, and so now podcasting's easy. It's much more popular. Like you could literally do it all on your iPhone if you wanted to. When him and I were doing it, you know, it was like, you're starting what? What are you doing? You know, we just wanted like a radio show. And that was like the conceivable way for us to get a radio show. So it was like less people like there, there were sometimes we'd ask somebody like, do you want to come on our podcast? And you did have a couple of the like, what's a podcast people, you know, so like that it was like, it's changed a lot in the last 10 years. Oh, absolutely. And de definitely technology has been a big, big factor of it. I mean, also too, you had a good equipment too, when when I remember being there getting everything recorded and to, uh, that kind of, you know, that kind of gear also has gone down in price where it was quite oh, yeah. back then. So you well, have, I think, especially mobile. Yeah. And I think the difference at that time is I was in, uh, I had uh, been in school for audio engineering. You know, that was like my original, you know, I was hoping to, to be like a studio, you know, guy, like that's what I wanted to do. And uh, so I, I had been sort of getting gear for other purposes. So it sort of worked out for me, like there was a dual purpose for it, but you know, that didn't ultimately like pan out like that part of my career path. But yeah, at the time, like even like getting a laptop that could functionally handle like recording like four microphones at once wasn't like cheap or easy. And so, yeah, it was a bit. And I used to have to edit out a lot more stuff in, in the audio. Like I would get like weird audio clips and stuff just as a result of like the software being a little more tricky at the time. But yeah, it was it was it was different. It was different 10 years ago, for sure. Do you remember how many interviews you did uh, at uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion? Uh, that year, I think we did like four or five. It ended up being really fun because we were, I, that was before I was in journalism hardcore. So like, I didn't know what like proper procedure was really. So like, we would just approach people, uh, me and uh, Aaron uh, or Aunt Rogers again, as a lot of you would know him as, um, we were just like approach, like we, we had reached out to Fairy Bones because we, we had had a bit of a pre-established, they had been our podcast before and um, but then like a great composer named Scott Haskin, we went to, he had a panel and we just like approached him afterwards. Like, do you want to come do the show? And there was this, uh, press room that no one used at, at, uh, it was Phoenix comic-con at the time. Mm -hmm. And so Aaron and I just like took that over and the lady in there was super nice. Like she didn't care because no one was using it. So I just had this little mobile recorder that I had bought this little task am, and we were just bringing people in and, you know, we were like, just taken over this little room and like it was cool because you could see the uh the con floor was behind us so it was actually kind of a good vibe in there and uh yeah and then we had like paul and storm who were like an amazing um uh comedic musical duo again we just like uh, we we sort of just cold emailed them and they agreed to do it and they were they were kind of a big deal and yeah so it was like you know so we just did stuff like that and then again like chelsea referred utah so i think we did four or five that first year um but yeah like that was it was great it was one of my favorite like experiences ever at like a convention and and i've done a lot since but that, that was a lot of fun how often was the how often did you release episodes for that podcast by the way we were we started once a week uh aaron and i did and then and then we kind of got ambitious and we were trying to start what, what we were trying to start i guess what you would call a podcast network so we had had a couple of friends that like uh, Mandy Kimes, who's some, yes. some Arizona. Mandy. Yeah, yep. mm -hmm. Mandy is one of the nicest people you ever meet. Um, uh, Lane Lines, go check out. She just put out a new album under Lane Lines. Very good stuff. Go check that out. But uh, Mandy, I met in audio recording school and then we had her on as a guest and she is more entrenched in music than than anyone I will ever know. And so then we had the idea of like, do you want to do a show? Cause like I could produce the show for you. And then I had uh, my buddy, Ryan Heilman uh, ended up doing like a more politically driven, like talk show type thing. 
and my buddy Henry and Aaron were doing like a um a movie based show. So we had like four shows and then once a month we would come together and do what we jokingly called a gangbang episodes where we would all just like sort of do like a podcast network chat. Um and uh yeah, like we did that for a while and I was producing all the shows, editing them all, putting them all up. It was it was a ton of work. Uh and we weren't really making any money. Like we were trying to get sponsors for the shows and stuff and and you know, but it was fun, but it, it was at a time when it was a lot harder to do this stuff. So it it really was like thankless and time consuming. And, you know, everyone's got to be as dedicated to it as you are. And so then eventually Aaron and I went down to an episode every two weeks just to make it more manageable for us. Uh, but that was the thing is we understood that, like, you have to make an agreement with your audience and you have to stick to that agreement. And so, like, you know, that that was kind of our thing. But um you know, yeah. we'd have a bonus episode every once in a while, like when we do a convention or something, sometimes someone will let us record like a panel and we'd put that audio up or something. But, you know, for the most part, it was like one a week and then eventually one every two weeks. It's really challenging to do a weekly podcast and I still love to do it, but especially interview based podcasts is really, really challenging because you're now working with other people's schedules. And yeah, schedule, scheduling is the biggest part. If you don't have a scheduler or someone you're partnered with, like scheduling is an absolute nightmare. It is. So I found, and uh, my listeners know this too, is that sometimes what I'll do is I will do on occasion, I'll do a repost where I was on a prior podcast before. And then what I'll do is I always get permission from the podcaster and say, Hey, in about after this episode comes out, can I repost it on my podcast about three to six months later? And I'm always very, uh, very straightforward about that and mentioning it in the episode that this is a repost, but not my audience doesn't always necessarily go to that individuals podcasts to listen to to me speak over there as a guest so i thought that there's if especially if there's an episode that has a lot of good information in it that would benefit my audience then i'll just go ahead and repost it like three to six months later where that podcast would no longer it's really no longer relevant for them because it's been such a long time past and in fact if anything it's actually helping promote their podcast because now my audience is getting used to them as a host so yeah what i know what i know a lot of people do is they'll they'll do like so let's say you know, okay, so let's say I still had a podcast. Mm -hmm. So what might happen is like, you're like, you try to schedule me for your podcast. So what we might do since no two podcasts are really the same, like I would do your podcast. And then since we're already both here, you would then like immediately do my pad podcast. Mm -hmm. And we would just kind of knock them both out. So that's like a way for a lot of people to knock out scheduling in that way. But yeah. You know, it's like that, but that's also effective. Like, again, anything like there's the same thing in like journalism too, which is what I do more now. If you can like, an interview, a source, an event you're at, whatever, if you can double dip, like that'll help save you, especially if you're a freelancer, if you're doing whatever, like that's like one of the best ways to to like keep your sanity. Oh, absolutely. Because especially these days is that as a content creator in general, there's such a high, high supply of content that you have to compete with. So right now we're in a dichotomy where the attention, you know, that, that is you know, the demand, the demand for content is ironically is at an all time high, but also content in general is also at an all time high. So there's literally an infinite supply, essentially, at this point of content. So that's something that as a content creator, you have to compete with. So whether it's an article, whether it's a podcast episode, or just even releasing, you know, putting videos on TikTok or IG reels, you there's so much you have to compete with. So there's that you have to find ways of maximizing what you're doing with your time, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, me, like, especially, again, I can't, I can't speak to the music industry. I can't speak to, but with what I do, like, even though I kind of have a full-time job at Slash Film, it's a contract position. 
I am technically a freelancer and I freelance around that. I do work for Fangoria.com. I do work for a very small website called Daily Superheroes. I do some work for Inverse.com. I have my own projects that I'm trying to do. And so like, I am kind of most weeks trying to cram 50 hours of work into 40 somehow, you know, like, and, and it's, and cause I also like, I'm not a workaholic. Like, you know, I had my workaholic phase in my second round of college. That was enough for me. Like, I don't need to ever do that again. Like, I don't, you know, I like, like after work, like I, I like this, for example, like I was like, you and I haven't talked in a while and like, it shouldn't take a podcast for friends to talk to each other. But like, but at the same time, I was like, oh, I'm, I miss Mike. Like, I'm absolutely going to do this. So like, but, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's chance. So, and I'm not the most organized person in the world. So, so trying to find those efficiencies and ways to, to make that is like, and I've been focusing a lot more on that lately, but you know, it is, it's challenging, especially for people that have to kind of, you know, I hate to use the phrase like hustle game, but that's like, you know, if you're freelancing, that's kind of, that's kind of the deal. So. Yeah, it's it is a very challenging balance, right? Because especially if you are unless do you work specific hours of time or do, is it or is the hours all over the place for you being a freelancer? So for years it was sort of all over the place, like especially those first few years. I mean we can get we can get into how I got into what I do now or whatever, but <laughs> But now, luckily, I work like with Slash Film up where I've been for a couple of years. Very happily, by the way, I, I love Slash Film like so much. I, I can get into before I was at Slash Film why I love it so much. But but uh, but um, I uh, so I work like a pretty standard nine to five for them. And then like I do usually like a, a, a little thing a day for Fangoria.com as well. So sometimes that's squeezing. I that's literally squeezing that in on my lunch break. Sometimes that's like after my shift at slash film doing that, you know, really quickly or whatever, you know, and, and um, you know, and then sometimes I'll take on, like I said, I, I do some uh, work for inverse.com and those are typically more like investigative type pieces, like where I'm sourcing stuff out and trying to contact people. So like every once in a while, when I take something on for them, I'll be like, okay, cool. One day this week, I'm going to go sit at a coffee shop for a couple of hours and, knock out everything that I've sort of already like the interviews I've done for that or whatever, and get this piece written up because I just need to change a pace at that point. Cause I've already been at my desk for eight hours and, you know, so that that's kind of like, it, it, it just depends on what I have on my plate, but you know, the hour, like on, on a normal day where I don't have a lot of extra freelancing or something, I will generally work like a nine to five, but you got to remain flexible depending on what you pitch and what you take on. So let's start at the beginning because you you mentioned that you were into audio production, you were looking to do podcasts, but that kind of changed pace for you. So what made you decide that you wanted to go towards journalism instead? When I was in school, like high school and stuff, I, I liked writing a lot. I was like a theater kid. Um, there was a point where I thought that I was going to be like a playwright, uh, weirdly enough. Um, I wrote a couple of plays in high school that actually got produced. Um, one of them was produced by multiple schools, which was pretty cool. Wow. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, I thought that was going to be the path. Like I was going to go to school for like a technical theater degree so I could like work in theater while writing. I was like, that was kind of what I thought I was going to do. And then, uh, when I was taking some of my first classes at MCC, one of them was a rock and roll history class. And my teacher was like, yo, you, you should know that like, there is a, path where you can learn how to go like produce music because this seems like something and I was like what you know and then and then that kind of changed my whole trajectory and then what happened is when I graduated it was right at this terrible time where it was right after like the so the so you had the 08 horrible you know recession and then like 2010 
home audio production became so much more affordable so much cheaper like there was a there was breakthroughs in that technology at that time where like suddenly you could get like studio quality recordings at home genuinely for like you know affordably for like maybe the first time ever and so all these studio jobs were so much harder to get and it's not like being in Arizona there were a lot of those anyway um and i didn't want to work in live sound because that's essentially like you're a moving company that occasionally gets to do sound um and so you know i i was in limbo and then i was like i was in a band for a minute and there was like this weird minute where it looked like we were going to kind of like i don't want to say make it but like things were going to maybe happen like it was a weird flash in the pan thing and then it like fell apart really quickly so then after the band fell apart like I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm sitting on my mom's couch. I was literally like sleeping on my mom's couch because I was planning to move to Seattle and whatever. And and then I was like, I got to do something. I was like, maybe I got to go back to school. And and then I was like, hey, I liked writing. Uh, journalism is a way to make money writing. And I didn't really even understand what journalism fully was at that time. But MCC had a journalism program and I, and I had a very good time at uh, MCC at Mesa Community College. For those of you that don't know, is one of the highest regarded community colleges in the country. I couldn't recommend it enough as someone who has mixed feelings about like university and the expense that requires. Um, so I, I and then I just I signed up for the journalism track because I had already had like a lot of my I'd already had a lot of like my math and all that. You know, I'd had a lot of classes done that I could transfer to that degree. So I was like, OK, I could probably get this done in like, you know, two years and and uh and that was and you know just out of sheer desperation i i found my way to that and you know there's a little more to it once i get in there but that's kind of where that all started well let's get into it then so you go back to mcc you you start learning about journalism specifically once you get out of that what did you do first to start getting gigs essentially for writing articles well, you see, I didn't wait. So like, so I, I, the thing that I did that I, that most people, even now that I know that like go the traditional, like I went to school for journalism route, they don't do what I did, which is that like, I started freelancing while I was in school where I was like, I was like, okay, like I, I need to get a portfolio. And so I, so the first thing that happened and it was kind of around the time I decided to do this is that I, Mesa Community College is a very good uh, newspaper called the Mesa Legend, and they have a small staff. And if you and the one thing I really like is that if you get on that staff, you actually get you get paid and it's not a lot of now. It is not a lot of money, but you get a paycheck. So. That was enough money where I was like, OK, if I keep my bills extremely low and if I can start making some money freelancing, I might be able to scrape by you know, just writing. And mind you, I saw so at the time I'd been working customer service, which I, I I don't know anyone who hated it more than I did. And you know, you've talked to me a bit. Like I- Oh yeah, I, I, I've worked- oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about the F-bomb. Sorry about the F-bomb. Oh, you're good, you're good. But, you're yeah, good. You're but, but yeah, so, but I, but I really hated it. I was miserable. And then not to get too serious here, but what happened is I had my uncle who was uh, one of my favorite people in the world, my uncle Bob, my dear uncle Bob, uh, died very unexpectedly. And, um, that, that was the moment where, and, and not to get existential or whatever, but the, 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 I've only ever experienced untimely death really. So for me, like, that was the thing where I was like, all right, something snapped in my brain where I was like, I, I don't have any guarantee of how much time I'm going to be here and I can't be miserable and I won't be miserable. 
So I just decided then and there, because I'd already decided to go back to school. I was like, I am going to quit my job and start writing full time. I had bills. I had rent. I wasn't living with my mom anymore. I had like, I was like, but I, but, and my family was like amazingly supportive. They were like, you know, this is something you feel like you need to do, go for it. And that, and I don't think I would have been able to do it without that. But, but so then I was in a situation where I backed myself into a corner and I was like, I have to make money or I do not survive. So, you know, like, because I also knew myself and I knew if I was working another job, I hated plus going to school, writing on the side, wasn't going to be easy or something I was likely to do very much of. So that was, that was my way of like forcing myself to figure it out. So, so at least you got, that's great that you were actually getting paid work while you were also learning. And I think that is the, honestly, the paid work is a loose term, but like, sure. Like in those early days, but But, yeah, yeah. I mean, even if it's a little bit amount, right. You were still essentially setting yourself as a freelancer while you're also getting an education. And I feel that, there are so many benefits for both practical education, meaning going out there and learning on your own and, and actually doing it and through trial and error, and then also getting some sort of formal structure as well. There's benefits on both sides. Sometimes some people prefer the formal structure only because that's the best way that they learn. Some people, they can't deal with a formal structure and that they learn in a very different way where they have to actually do themselves and fail several times before yeah. they can get they can get good at it and sometimes you know there's some that are in between where they're a little bit in the middle where yeah, i needed i needed both i needed that structure like i the things i learned at mcc and and the thing jack molins the program uh, director at the time was incredible to me and a wonderful mentor old school guy though you know he didn't quite understand the new wave so like when i was coming up on graduation he was essentially begging me to go to get my bachelor's and i was like I don't like journalism is going down and it's continued to go down as far as like a way to make money. It's not a good way to make money. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to pay for it. I'm not going to get scholarships. Like I, so I'm going to end up having to go heavily into debt if I do this and I'm already working and I, and I, and I don't want to work at like CNN. I see my path already. And I don't really think a a four-year degree is going to help me more. I think the work experience plus my associates is probably like the way, you know, and like, and the other thing I knew was like, okay, if, if that doesn't work out, I can go back. But like, it, you know, like it did, I didn't want to just automatically go into debt. And that's where, you know, my complicated feelings on college, I think college is very necessary. I think, I think like, I think education is very necessary. I think post high school education is very necessary, but that can take on many forms. Absolutely. And I, I think, I think going like $40,000 in a debt automatically like how many people do you know that have a four-year psychology degree, but they sell insurance? They yeah. might have a good job, but like that that specific degree didn't really do them any good. So I don't know. I have complicated feelings on that. And I, and I was luckily because I didn't go to college right away. I, I took a year off and then I went, you know, like I, I, I kind of took it slow. I was able to sort of like figure some stuff out um, rather than just being like 18 years old. And then at 22, you have $35,000 in debt and agree. You don't know what to do with. Like, I don't know if that's the path, but that's a, that's a different conversation entirely. But. So what I find interesting is that you were starting to, to get this, you know, practical education. Right. And so when did you start getting opportunities outside of MCC? 
Uh, I mean, almost right away, because what I was doing, again, I wasn't making money anywhere else. Like mm -hmm. I, you know, so like the money I was making at the paper, how much was it? I don't remember the exact amount, but it was not, you know, it was maybe five, 600 a month or something. Like it wasn't, you know, it may be covered like my rent, mm -hmm. you know, and then, and then I had everything else that I needed to survive. I don't remember the, it was, it, but it was like, it was something. And so I immediately was. What what my first thing was, I was going on Craigslist. They have like the the section for all the jobs and then they have a section that's like writing or like freelance jobs. And I was just combing through there all the time. And and this was before I had a specific niche. I was just trying to write anything and everything where I could get any sort of writing experience. So like one steady gig that I found for a little while is I was writing for like a garage door company where like most, com most companies that sell things have a blog that kind of, help drive people to their website. So I was writing like garage door blogs. Like I didn't know anything about garage doors. I had to figure it all out. And like, you know, I was doing like any, like anything I could, like if it was one-off articles for whatever I was. And sometimes it was like very, very, very little amounts of money. In fact, most of the time it was very little amounts of money. But the thing that I knew, and this is, this is where I think this advice might become applicable to anybody that's listening that like music industry, whatever, like, if you set your price at free, it is very difficult to then negotiate that your price is above free. You so like the, the advice I give anybody is don't work for free. Like now, if you need experience, like because anyone will like there are tons of predatory websites and people out there that'll be like, you work for experience. I think that's garbage. Like, and, and I, I'm not saying I've never written anywhere for free, but I've done it extremely selectively. And the second it became opportune for me not to do it, I pull that rug out and I don't feel bad about it for a half a second. So like, you know, the big, the, you know, for me, that was my thing is I was like, look, if you're going to use this writing, it's worth something, you know? So, so, you know, and I understand that's, that's tough for people, but like, you know, I think that's the, that's kind of the, especially if you're going to freelance and that's increasingly becoming about the only path toward my career anyway, you kind of got to put your foot in the sand and be like, I'm, I'm worth something. Absolutely. So that was how it started. And you get a little bit of a portfolio, you get a little bit of whatever, you know, and then you kind of just, it's pounding pavement the whole way, but that's, you know, that's how I was able to do it. And, you know, clearly, and we'll, we'll, as you mentioned, we'll definitely get to where you are uh, currently. But I definitely want to talk about then getting work with Phoenix New Times, because was that one of the first public like main publications that you started writing for or did you do work uh, for somebody before that? So I didn't do much for Phoenix New Times. I, I was where I had my internship for college, like uh, Jack Mullins, who I mentioned, who was the former program director at MCC for the journalism program. He got me hooked up uh, with a, a lovely woman named Becky Bartkowski. Uh, at the time who was uh, at the like the pop culture section and mm -hmm. uh I don't know that that internship went super well like if I'm being very honest like I I think that like their grade of me would have been maybe like a C you know I don't think that like it, it went great but I got to do some really good a few really good pieces for them and um you know, so it was like, and 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 for a while, that was like a nice credit to have. Like I had some Phoenix New Times bylines, which I, for a long time, I wasn't writing for anyone that anyone cared about. So like, you know, that sort of helped a little bit. And, and then I think that kind of opened the door to where I eventually started writing at Modern Times Magazine. Mm -hmm. And then that was like, you know, that that kind of like helped a little bit. And but yeah, the, the, the big problem I had for a long time was not writing for anyone that anyone really 
knew about, cared about, read that much. And, you know, th- so you got it that it's hard to eventually break through into that. But yeah, I think like new times being the internship that I had that helped a little bit in those early days, but yeah, that was all I did for them really, because they, I, I, I don't think they had any interest in taking me on beyond that if I'm being, and I, <laughs> I don't regret It's just, it's just the way that it went. Like, you know, right. I wasn't, I was green. I was still learning. So what do you feel made the difference between where you were, where you're just getting anything that you get your hands on? And because clearly you've now written for so many well-known publications and you mentioned Slash Film Fan or like so many of them. And, you know, of course, uh, before that, even Movie Web, how what do you feel made that difference where you did enough or you did certain things to help you get that to get them to recognize your work or to pay attention to what you're doing? Uh, I, I'm, I, as I get older, I become more and more of a fan of trite sayings, like things that are said a lot, but you understand that they are said for a good reason. And one of the biggest ones that like, I think that like any young hungry people coming up there, there is a saying that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And it's like, you know, you just picture it as this thing that like old people say it doesn't, no, no, it, it means something kids like it. Uh, so the only reason I got any of the jobs that I have is because I was squeaky. Like I, I don't think I'm the best anybody at anything, but I am, I am not afraid to raise my hand, even if people aren't asking me to. And that's because (laughs) I love what I do. Like, I don't want to stop doing what I do. You, you might be better than me, but I will be louder than you. And like, sometimes that's enough. And like, so what happened is I, I had I had started when I started realizing that like the pop culture writing is going to be my thing. I thought, you know, like and thank you. Uh, I was working for a website called American Livewire for a while as a small website. And, and one of my editors there was like, have you you know, you seem to know a lot about movies and stuff. Why aren't you writing about that? And then like I had never really clicked for me. And that's when it clicked. And but so what happened was. I just started gathering a list of websites that I looked at and I was like, or publications. I was like, I like these people. I don't know if they're hiring, but I just had this Google doc just full. I probably still have it somewhere just full of like websites that I liked would maybe write for whatever. And so every once in a while, when I had like a free couple of hours, I would just start at the top and I would like go see if that website had a job board, see if they had editors I could email, see if anything. And then I would just, a lot of times it was like a completely cold email. Like, Hi, here's who I am. Here's my resume. Here's some clips. If you're looking for anyone, blah, 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 blah. Most of the time that resulted in nothing. And then there was a website called the daily dot that, that one of their editors eventually got back to me was like, yeah, man, I mean, I've got a bit of a freelance budget. You got anything, you know, and then you've always got to be, you know, you got to have, you got to be ready and you got to be able to pitch. And, and then that led to uh, the movie web job, which was the first thing where any, that was the first website that anyone like that it had a mass readership that like gave me a shot and they were starting to experiment with this new payment system. It was like the right email at the right time. I sent the email off, didn't think anything of it. And then like the CEO, I think emailed me back like three days later, like the, the top of the company, it was like, you know, we might have this opportunity if you're willing to like try something out, you know, like we, you know, and then that turned into a full-time gig. And, you know, and then, and then that, like now that sort of, 
you know, that worked out for a, for a good while, but then, you know, there's what happened after that, which is a bit complicated, but like, but that was how, like, if you want to know how it was literally just like pounding pavement. I don't know another way to put it. Like it was just squeaky wheeling, looking for things. Like I wasn't waiting for stuff to come in. I wasn't just going to job boards. I was like, I don't want to sound like one of those, like, you know, weird YouTube, like, you know, hustlers, but like, it was straight up trying to create opportunity just because I didn't expect that like traditional paths were going to open themselves up to me. So I just like, you know, I don't know, man. I just, I just, it was so weird because I hated traditional jobs, like everything I ever did, I hated. And then like, when I started doing this, when you get the danger, I always tell people when you find something you love and you get that first, like, tinge of like i love this i actually love this the danger on the other side of that is understanding that you might not get to get to do it forever but like if you really feel that and you're one of those people that says i love what i do you will claw and fight and like tooth and nail do anything to stay in it and that's how i feel about it like you know forget imposter syndrome forget all that i don't care i'll do anything i can to keep doing this because i love it and so especially in those early days it was like you know, once you had a taste, you're like, how can I just get to a place of like just a little bit of security so I can just do this? I just want to do this. I don't want a lot. I just want to do this. And so it was like, you know, I couldn't just wait for like a job application to find me. I was aggressively trying to figure out a way to make that happen. So, you know, that's that was it. It's funny because I know you and I've had many conversations about this over the years. And I know like we talk about this about, you know, I was trying to make it work with a record label and you were trying to make it work as a, as a journalist. And we would always have these conversations go back and forth. And you're you're 100 percent right is that it is I like to say consistency. That's the way I put it. I, I boil it down to squeaky wheel consistency is like is is you have to do these consistent follow ups. You have to reach out. You have to reach out to a, a lot of people. And like you mentioned, is that chances are, especially for something like this. You're going to get mostly no's like that's the expectation. If you get a bunch of yeses, like even better. But the expectation is you're going to get you know no responses at all. And then out of those responses you get received, we're probably going to be no's. But the idea that hopefully at some point in time you get a yes. And that's down to persistence, the quality of work that you're doing, of course, as well to help you get to that point. Yeah, it's it's I mean, that's the other thing. Like I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if like your whole point here is to like get a bunch of unsolicited advice to people that might be listening, but like if <laughs> a little bit of both, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, I like to hear people's stories, but also like talk about just like, you know, because you and I, you know, there are so many, like, so I hear the story all the time about every people that have been in our position before, right. They're struggling and they're trying to make it work. They love something so much. They're doing a job, but they don't enjoy doing it all. And they want to do this one thing, but they have no idea on how to actually make, make a living from it. And especially for something that becomes down to freelancing, especially, but even just in general is how do I get to that point is how do I get there? How do I get to something that I feel so passionate about that I can make money from, right? And how to make a living. And what was interesting is that time and time again, when I talk to you know, to a number of people, as mentioned to you as well, is that that consistency, as you mentioned, it just it's just so key. It really just so important to 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 do that. And you do it respectfully. Like how often do, were you following up with these people? Uh, that was the one thing back then. I wasn't really doing follow-ups too often, really? but like, okay. 
But but well, but also because I was green, I didn't know nobody was telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Like I I was just like you know like but I uh uh follow ups are a bigger part of my life now as a journalist. But like but back then I was just sort of like I had that list, and then like maybe what I would do is like and again it's hard to remember this was like ten years ago, but like but or seven about eight years ago, but like but I would you know, go, uh, I don't know, every few weeks, every month or whatever, I'd go back to the top of that list and just kind of start again. So it might not be a follow-up, but it might just be like a new email, a new person. Maybe they actually did post a job, you know, whatever. Like it was just kind of start over again. You know, um, I hear a lot of like, I think, I think my path was like the closest I've heard anyone is like people that try to get into comic books. Like people that I know that like, like writers or artists, they would just hound like anyone that worked in comics like here's my you know and like and, and just tell someone would let them do something even if it was just to shut them up like like that was my like i was like i can be i i know i can be annoying enough that that might get me an opportunity like that was my only you know like that was the only strength i thought that i had and like i knew i could write i i still to this day don't think i'm the best at anything but i think that i'm like very capable and like because i want it so bad i'll do what it takes you know like that's like i i that's really my strength is that like i i just want it you know like other people have idealized versions of what this job can look like and that sort of prevents them from being able to to like do the the dirty work that actually will help you keep the job whereas like i don't have any i did i even like the my worst day doing this is so much better than like my average day, like waiting tables. I, you know, I, if you told me today, like, Hey man, your journalism career is over. And really the only thing available to you is waiting tables. I, I, it, I kind of think like a casual stroll in traffic would be more appealing to me. And and I don't mean to be dramatic, but like, I just hated it so much. So like, you know, it, 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 that's kind of the thing for me is like, you know, that's, that's where it was at. I'll also mention to you that because I've I've read a number of your articles as well, and is that you're so passionate about the work that you do and it comes across in your writing and it also comes across in our conversations as well. I mean, we'll we can talk for hours on these subjects, even even though this is your job that you do, you do, you know, throughout the entire day, you still want to talk about the, you know, you know, the, the different films or just the film industry in general or pop culture as a whole. And I think that also is something that is so important to, for, especially for something like this, is to go, is in, to endure that grind and to endure scraping by and to develop these skill sets for yourself is that, you know, to be, to be, to love it that much, to, to be passionate that, that much about it, it definitely does help too. Oh, yeah. I mean, like for me, you know, and again, I didn't plan. I mean, I liked journalism at all, even when I was doing more hard news stuff. Because I, I started at the Mesa Legend, the paper at MCC, I was the news editor, the straight up news editor. So I wasn't doing a lot of pop culture stuff or anything. And then I became the editor in chief. So I was more like guiding, uh, guiding stuff, um, guiding coverage and, you know, editorial and editing and stuff. And and so there wasn't a lot of pop, but I still loved it. But then like, you know, I always loved like, I, I think if you told people like if you go back to people I went to high school with and you're like, Ryan's a writer now, they would probably assume I was writing for like Rolling Stone about music and stuff but it turns out that like I'm a terrible music writer like I can't write about music to save my life but but I always loved movies as well and like comics and pop culture and stuff and I and I'm actually pretty okay at writing about movies now I'm not like what people but people might I guess what might help people understand is that like I'm not a critic I don't really I review maybe a couple of movies a year 
you know, I, I'm mostly writing like news, like, you know, if there's a casting announcement, if there's a trailer for a movie, I'm do, I do a lot of analysis these days. I write a lot of box office stuff, which is what I really enjoy doing. But so like, you know, that's a niche that I found for myself that I was able to carve out. Um, I, I always say that I like the business side of the movie business. I write a lot of that sort of stuff. But I think a lot of people that get into film writing, that's not what they want to do. That's not what they envision. They envision being more of a critic. They envision being more, you know, having an opinion. I don't care. I don't want an opinion. Most of my writing doesn't really feature much of an opinion. It, it's like I like. I like presenting stuff to people like I'm like, hey, there's a Godzilla movie coming out. That's exciting to me. Is this exciting to you? Here's the information to you. Like, I remember when I was when I hated my jobs and like there would be like a trailer that would drop for something I was excited about. Like, I remember years ago, I just got home. I was working at a Starbucks at, at Sky Harbor Airport and I just got home. It was like just after midnight. And I was literally one of the first people that clicked on the Iron Man 3 trailer on YouTube. I was one of the first like 10 people. Like wow. it dropped. And I knew, and I just remember like I had a horrible day. And I just like, and I just like just seeing that trailer for that great trailer for a movie that I would still like to see because Iron Man 3 didn't really resemble that trailer, but that's another conversation yeah. entirely. <laughs> but like, but 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 um but yeah, like, you know, things like that. So I remember like, so if I can deliver that information to people or like, you know, and sort of be a vessel for that, like, that's what I, I don't care. Like, I don't need to inject my opinion into the, it's not what, it, that's not my version of it. You know, that's not, but, but yeah, the passion like that, like the reason I can talk about it is because I still love this stuff. You know, like that's the only, like, that's the reason it it's, it matters. Like, and a lot of the stuff I read about, I don't have as much of a passion about, but I still like movies and TV enough in general that like, no, no, doing this is still good and interesting. And then like when I get to write about the stuff I really care about, it's like, you know, that that like really fuels you. But yeah, like it it absolutely helped. Like having passion for what you're doing, even if it's hard, because like a lot of times what I do, it's harder than what I used to do, but it matters to me and I care about it. So like it's in some ways easier, even when it's not. You mentioned too about writing the things that you want to. How often do you pitch your ideas in comparison to being assigned uh, an article to write? Um, it, it, it varies a lot at the publication that like, so slash film, which is my main gig. Like, um, I, I've kind of become their go-to box office guy. So a lot of that is me sort of like on Monday, I'll go in and I'll look at the weekend box office numbers and then I'll, you know, sort of pitch like, Hey, here's what I think we should cover based on what happened this weekend. Um, so like, in a sense, I'm assigned like you're going to do our box office coverage on Mondays, but then it's sort of on me as the box office analyst to be like, this is what people might care about. And here's a way that I can present that information to people. Um, and then like you'll have like just an uh, example a as of this recording, I don't know when this is going up. Um, it was just announced like an hour ago that uh, Eli Roth is directing a, a sequel to Thanksgiving, the horror slasher movie that just came I was out. So thanks. Wow. So th yeah, th you're right because it's doing so Thanksgiving too. So when big news like that gets announced, you've got to like it's a drop what you're doing. This is a right here, right now story. You're the guy who's available. Get it done. You know, so like so stuff. So th th you can't predict when that news is going to drop or when that's going to happen. So like you need to be ready to do that stuff. And then you'll have kind of midterm projects you're working on longer term projects you're working on. So it's a mix. If I, if I'm working for other publications or places I want to work for like inverse, that's pitching. That's like, that's straight up. Like, here's something that I am, that I think might work for you guys or every once in a while, if you're lucky, you'll see like an editor on Twitter or something will be like, 
Um, I'm looking for someone to write something on this topic. Do you have a pitch? Let me know. And that's where you've got to be able to craft a pitch. Now I'm better at that. If I have a small prompt to work with, I can go just pitching blind is a little rough for me, but, but so that's how I got it with inverse is there was a blind, there was like a thing. They're like, Hey, we're looking for someone to write something, something about this. And I had a pitch that got picked up and then every once in a while I'll, I'll now write for them. But so, so if it's other outlets, it's, it's a lot of me pitching. You don't, don't don't expect that anyone's going to come to you and be like, oh, my God, you're the perfect person to write this story. That's just not how that works. You need to be comfortable pitching. Yeah, I can imagine. One of the things that you also do in addition uh, to the writing that you mentioned is interviews. So can you uh, talk about your preparation that you go through for interviews? Uh, yeah, like I... um. So I interviewed my favorite part of the job is I interview people a lot for, um, you know, movies and TV stuff that, that that might be coming out. And what's challenging a lot of times is in the way that I do it now, you know, you and I get to have an hour long conversation today. Right. Um, when I do this stuff for slash from whatever, you are incredibly lucky to get 15 minutes with somebody. Well, I can imagine, you know, like. We'll, we'll talk like, about some, like of the, 15... some of the some of the uh, the interviewees that you've had, which is amazing, by the way. Right. I very well, no, I, I sometimes when I think about it, but but again, you're lucky to get like 15 minutes with those people. So like, so I'll prepare like you know, and I, like, but what I don't do is I do not, especially if I'm in a room with somebody, like I do not sit there with a pad of questions reading off. Like I look, I I have stuff in my head that I know I kind of want to get to. But I talk to them. I treat it like a conversation. So, like, I know what I want to touch on, but I'm also willing to, like, let the conversation go where it goes. And, and you know, like, even if it's a short, like, 10-minute thing, like, you know, I I just try to treat it because that's what I want. I just want to talk to these people. Like, I'm not – I don't have an agenda. I'm not doing gotcha journalism. Like, you know, yeah, I might know, like – I want to talk about something, but there's, I think there's a natural way to go about that. And so I try to be as natural about it as possible because when someone's doing 50 interviews in a row in a day and getting asked the same questions over and over again, you're going to be worn out. If you can somehow like make them realize you're not just the next, like hopefully not the next like person asking the same five questions, like they might, you might wake them up a bit and they might, you know, actually want to talk to you a little more than they want to talk to the person before or after you. And like that, that's what I want. You know, that's what I'm hopeful for. That's what I'm there for. Like, because I want to talk to these people because I'm interested in it and I'm interested in the craft. I'm interested in what they did. So, you know, it depends. Do I have 30 minutes with someone? Do I have five minutes with someone? Am I on a press line where I literally get to ask them one or two questions? Like it all depends on, on the situation, but always I try to keep it more natural if I can. Like that, that's always the goal for me. I don't always succeed, but that's what I'm trying to do. It makes a lot of sense, right? Is that trying to, I think it's always a, del a delicate balance, right? Because you have in your mind what type of questions you want to ask them, but you also want to try to make it as organic as humanly possible. I try to do, if there are other interviews that the my guest has done prior, I usually try to look at those articles or or even if it's like a podcast, maybe get some of the, the notes of what that podcast is about so that I may touch upon it a little bit but try to, to go into a whole new territory because i don't want them to repeat the same things over and over again because again that's not very exciting and i want to bring something new or interesting or fresh to the table for the audience so you know but it it, it definitely is a is 
can be a little bit challenging. And I respect that fact that, you know, I do. I mean, I, we were talking about before even starting the interview that I have I always have like a bulleted list of notes of of questions. So I have an idea of where I would want to go. But if we derail or we go on a different direction or something along those lines is, you know, I, I encourage I like I like doing that. I want to keep it interesting as possible, but also have an idea of where I want the conversation to go. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, if I'm like on Zoom or something with, with like during a press rocket, I might have like some questions on my screen that I can sort of like look at. But I want, but I try to not make it seem like I'm, you know, just like going down my list of questions. Like, that's what you don't want. Obviously, you, you know, like you, you might need to have some notes for yourself, but like, but there, there's nothing more like there's, there's, there's nothing that'll kill a vibe more than just like, I am not in this moment. I came in here with a list of questions and I am going through that list of questions. Right. Like, especially when you're doing like, I'm doing entertainment journalism. I'm not like interviewing heads of state, you know, like that, that's a, like, I'm, I'm, that's, that, that's a very different thing. So, you know, like I, I try to meet the conversation where it is, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that, and like, yeah, we're talking about movies and TV. Let's not, you know, let's not treat it like, it's insane. And also the other thing I, I guess I tell people in general is that like you need to respect people. Like you need to have respect for these people, but also like they're people. Like they're they're just a person that like has a pretty insane job most of the time. You know, so you don't need to don't, you know, like I think you can have a lot of respect for that person without necessarily putting them up on a pedestal that makes it challenging to, to talk to them. Like there are exceptions to that. You were there at South by that one year when I got to talk to Ridley Scott. Like that, yeah, that's that that's different like that and that man sits next to you and he looks at you and like he is on another plane of existence and that's challenge <laughs> that's different but like 99 of the time that's not going to be the case so you know i think that like that's the other thing for me is that like you, you try to you try to you know meet meet him at a human level as much as you can um because i think that's helpful now i've i've had this experience a couple of times but not too often is you get uh, requested or required to send your questions ahead of time to be screened. I know sometimes with publicists, they require it so that they can inform their clients on what kind of, kind of questions being asked, or do they usually just let you, yeah, go ahead. Just, you know, just go and ask whatever you want to ask. Uh, it depends. There are sometimes every once in a while, they'll be like, you know, uh, a, um, uh, like a PR rep that might be like, you know, uh, obviously like if they're promoting a new show or something and want you to mostly like stay on topic if you can. But like we've, I've run into a couple situations with people I work with, like we're trying to set up an interview and the people are being a little too restrictive and we've just turned stuff down or I've turned stuff down. Like, because I'm like, that's not what I do. That's not how, like, and like, I'm I'm not saying like, oh, I'm lucky enough to be in a position to turn stuff down. But like, I do luckily have like a full-time job somewhere. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm good enough at my job and I have good enough relationships with the people I work with where like, I can sort of state like, a, hey, I don't think this is, you know, this is gonna, and they'll tend to agree with me, which is nice. But like, you know, obviously I do what I gotta do. Like I'm not a diva or anything, but I also just don't see like, I'm not necessarily there just to be like a a mouthpiece for you. Like this is a like an interview should be a mutual exchange, I think. And so like, you know, it, it depends. Like, I, you know, and like, and again, I'm not like in the, I'm not in gotcha journalism land. Like I've definitely ran into a couple of things before and I don't want to get into too specifically where like, 
I've kind of touched on a bit of a touchy topic with someone. Things got a little uncomfortable when I learned my lesson. Like, so, you know, generally I try to avoid that stuff. I had one situation that was very bad and I felt terrible about it to this day, to be honest with you. Like we had to have the, the PR person actually cut in on the phone and was like, okay, like you need to stop this line of questioning. And it was like really like horrifying. And then like it derailed the interview and it was terrible. But like, um, you know, so like, but other than that, like, you know, you just, I just try to like, and also like, by the way, like sometimes what'll happen is like these people that are like the PR people, they're there trying to protect their client, the client or the person or the talent. They probably don't care what they talk about. Like the other people are just there. So like, if you just bring stuff up, you know, once you're doing it, like, it's like, you know, again, don't be disrespectful, but like they, you know, they, they, especially if you find a natural way into it, they'll probably want to talk about it. So like, you know, obviously you have to be respectful, but like, yeah, you got to walk a rope sometimes. But again, if I find if I find myself in a situation where they're being too restrictive, I, I might just decline, you know, like, like, or I'll talk to my, whoever I'm working with and be like, I think this is, you know, and, and that's not always like, and also that's like, just to be clear, like that's something that can be negotiated. Then I might be like, okay, we want to focus strictly on this. And you'd be like, well, okay, I was interested in this. Is there anything we can sort of do about that? You know, and, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So it, it all, you know, it all depends. It's a very it's a situation by situation, case by case basis. Was there a particular interview that really resonated with you? Uh, I've had a few that I'm like very thankful that I've done. Um. I know your your audience is more music based and and one of the ones that I actually really loved that I got to do was uh during South by Southwest um I believe it was that same year you were down there for Alien Covenant and stuff I uh I got to interview Justin Hurwitz who was a two-time Oscar winner he did the music for like La La Land would what pe most people know him for and he was just there like it was already after the movie had come out and like done what it did and, you know, won its Oscars. And so he was just down there kind of just sort of like, I think, like the home video release or something. Basically, Lionsgate was like, please come make us look good because we have like one of the you know most loved movies of the last year. And so he had just like performed some of the songs. And I believe he did some interview with like Scott Mance, who's like a huge entertainment journalist. So then we just go sit in this tent like they just bring him to me he looks a little tired. It's like in the middle of South by and he just like, nobody's timing us. We're just talking. And like, it was a very honest interview. Like I got to a point where I didn't have a lot of questions. Am I, we just started talking and I, and I even like screwed up. I was like, you're an Oscar, you know, you've won an Oscar. He's like two Oscars. And he had to like, correct me. And like, I left that in the interview. Like, I was like, no, no, like that's like, it's important to know that like, it's okay that like we make mistakes. And then we just joked about it. We had a good time. But like, I, that interview was like, it was a guy at like the absolute like apex of like his career, like the best moment he could possibly be having in his career. And it just was like a really cool conversation. It's one that I always remember. And uh, yeah, like that was like, that was like, I look back at that one still, that was like years ago as like, that's my methodology working. Like that's my, like, that's, that's like this working. Um, and then the other one was last year. Uh, it wasn't just one interview, but I got to do, one of my very favorite horror movies is a movie called Sinister, which was directed by a guy named Scott Derrickson, who ended up directing Doctor Strange, the Marvel movie. And and he, so I, I pitched like, so I would like to do an oral history of Sinister, which at one point, like science sort of determined was like the scariest movie ever made, like based on people's heart rates and stuff. So I, so I ended up like just pounding pavement like finding people who worked on the movie interviewed a bunch of people and then last year time to the 10th anniversary of the movie we released this just like i think it was like twenty thousand words or something it was just crazy huge 
oral history. So I interviewed Scott Derrickson. I interviewed the uh, the writer C. Robert Cargill, and um, it was like it's it's my favorite thing that I've ever done. Like it's 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 like it's it's I you know it's it, it, it I mean it's just amazing. Like and especially because you know let's say I was interviewing Scott Derrickson for like his new movie or something, I might get to ask him a question about Sinister if I'm lucky. This was a situation where like they were donating their time to me to talk specifically about this movie. And like, and so like, I got to just all these people, I got to ask like a ton of questions about like this very specific thing that I loved. And so like, and then I put together this kind of impressive piece that just like sort of told the story behind that movie that I love and, and that exists now as like this living document of this thing. And like, even what was really amazing, the production designer at the last minute, like I get off phone with him, he's like, oh, hey, I have a bunch of pictures I took during the production that, like, I've never released. Do you want those? Do you want to do something with those? So he wow. gave me, like, all these, like, black and white, like, photos that he took. And then I ended up being able to put together a whole second piece, like a companion piece with those photos and the interview that he did. So it was like that, that to me was, like, this incredible, like, you know, like, okay, if I never do anything else, I got to, like, document this movie that, like, you know, and so, like, so, so that, that, that's one that stands out to me is, like, just, and again, I mentioned, but like I was in a room with Ridley Scott. Like there, I don't know that. Like I, what, 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 what? I was sitting one chair away from the guy and made eye contact with him for twenty minutes. You know, like that was, you know, I mean, that's I, I don't know what I. There was, there was no other moment in my career where I've like, oh, oh, did I make it? Like, <laughs> like, am I, like, am I do, am I really doing this? Like that was the coolest, you know. So that that's that, those those are a few that sort of really stand out. It's really cool because you know. Again, we, we've been friends for a long time now, and it just makes me so uh, proud, like, like seriously proud of you, like, of being able to have these opportunities. And and we talk to the you like, hey, guess who I'm talking about to go interview now? And it's, it's, we both get so excited because these are, you know, these are people that are involved in the films that we love and we just watch and we admire their work so much. And it's always exciting to me where, Anytime uh, when we run into each other at a uh, conference, whether it's like South by or Phoenix fan fusion and so forth, it's so cool. Cause we like, we'll chat for like maybe two minutes at most while I'm running to something and you're going to, and running to something else in the meantime, we're, we're all like there to hustle and we're all there to do our work, but it's just, I, for me personally, it's always that excitement of just, you know, being in the thick of things, you know, and being a part of it in some form or fashion. Oh yeah, it's incredible. And like and and like you and I, you know, we had that talk when a handful we were on this rooftop, you were about to do a gig and we were just like at South by like, you know, and we were just having this great conversation. That was at a bit of um was at a bit of an odd time where I was sort of like I just found out that I was going to Star Wars celebration for the first time and like, you know, so it was like this really amazing thing that I found out that I was but it was also at like a time where there was a bit of turmoil at the place I was working at at the time. And I was like, wasn't sure if I was going to go because there was like a big, a big problem. And like, so, but it ended up working out, but it was like, you know, those moments are nice. And then like this year you came out for South by and like, we, we barely found time to like go, like, you know, we grab lunch for a bit and you know, that's nice, but, but it's, uh, it's always this nice reminder that like our worlds intersect still just enough to like, to be able to, you know, and then actually I should, we should talk about a little bit. You, the first, like maybe must've been it was like four or five months after I moved here you came out here for South by and you stayed on my couch for like a whole week 
or I yeah. should say catch. We, I, I, I like had an apartment. I had no furniture. I moved out here with nothing. And, and like, I ordered a futon and it got here like right when you got here. And then we spent like an entire night building like, that like really crappy futon. <laughs> like, and it was yeah. like, and it was not like a fun way to spend a night, but it was like, you need somewhere to sleep. So like, this is, this is what we're doing. We, we really bonded because there was a lot yeah. of explicitives there going back and forth on that, that thing. And um, that, that was, that that's always one of my favorite stories to tell. And you were, I thank you so much for, you know, I was very appreciative because that was also the very, no. Okay. So not only was that my very first year going to South by the, com, the actual convention part of South, because South by Southwest, it's a lot of things. It's a festival. It's a conference. It's, it's a, you know, it's a film festival. It, it, and not only that, but there's so many unofficial events that are happening around it. In fact, I would say there's way more, unofficial events that are happening surrounding south by southwest and they're official and i've been i went to south by once or twice prior but that was the first year that i actually was able to go to the conference itself and do a lot of the official panels and the official events and you were so nice enough because i was lucky to be selected as a mentor and that's why i was able to go and i was able and i was able to experience the entire south by southwest which is what 10 12 days it's a long it's long yeah it's up it's a, it's a, it is an all-encompassing behemoth yeah it was about it's like massive. around that time so i was like well i'm just gonna experience the whole thing why not i'm into tech and into film as well as of course into music so i'm gonna experience the whole thing right because i have the ability to do so so i i got there expect in going to spend a week there and you were so nice to let me crash on that couch for a week and I remember about two or three days in, I got really sick because I was not taking care of myself. And I learned my lesson lesson a number of times, actually, from conferences on how to take care of myself. But I, I was literally bedridden on that futon for like a day or two afterwards trying to, to get myself better. So I, I always remember that and remember that for how to take care of myself for conferences and also just how, how amazing you were as a friend for letting me crash there and while I was also sick and just, you know, crashing that futon. Yeah, I remember the, yeah, but, but I mean, that's a big thing too, is that people, you know, what always happens to me is that like, I do the festival, like I'll do sometimes it's South by, sometimes it's um, a fantastic fest out here sometimes at San Diego Comic-Con, but I'll do it. And then it's like, as soon as I stop moving, that's when I get sick. It's like, it's like, it's like once it's over, then I feel terrible. Like, uh, yeah, that's so like, there, there's like what some people call it jokingly call it like the con flu. Like mm -hmm. once you're done with the convention, you get, you get like a flu. Yeah. Con crud, con flu. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I've developed a regiment for myself to making sure that I don't get sick. And as long as you usually stick to that regiment, I usually am pretty good. But I usually make sure like I get a good night's sleep no matter what. If I if, unless there's a you know a circumstance where I really have to be somewhere, I always try to get a good night's sleep. I drink a coconut water to keep myself hydrated. And then I usually do at least for myself emergency to keep my immune system up. And I found that as long as I do those three things specifically. And of course, like taking breaks and then making sure that I eat that usually I'm pretty good. Like either I might get something maybe before or just after, but during is the worst time possible, right? Because you're missing out on things and it, it, you're not a home. So it's usually the worst time to to get something. So I'll try as much as I can to do these different things and to take care of myself and to pace myself accordingly so that I can 
you know, so I can enjoy the conference and to make the most out of that conference while I'm there. Yeah, because I think the thing is that like people like and and I imagine there's a lot of crossover with this. Like if you if you're in the music industry, and I imagine more people are like that are listening to this show are probably more likely to be in that end of things. Um, uh, there's a lot of hustle to it, and there's a lot of like moving around. But like, so what will happen is like you'll be at like uh, uh maybe a music festival or a whatever like a conference, and there's like this adrenaline that comes with, it, and that'll keep you going, and you're like okay, there's like some free energy drinks over here so I can grab one of those. And like, I just, I need to grab like a burger to eat in my hand while I'm running this. And so the adrenaline will keep you going and your body's good at that sort of thing when you get in that mode. But then once you stop, it's like, it's not even that you're like, you're like, you're sick, like as in you have a like an actual flu or something. It's that your body's like, no, I'm going to make you feel sick. So you, you, at you relax, like, like, because you need to chill. Yeah, you need and, to calm down for a while. This yeah, is and so it's like, yeah. And so it's like, it, it's, you know, so, so it's just like, if you can pace yourself as best, like, you know, you got to learn as much, or at least like take care of yourself, like take a minute to eat a proper meal, take a minute to actually like drink some proper stuff, get actual sleep. If you can't like, you know, say no to stuff. If you can say no to it, if it means you can keep your sanity a little more, like there's, you know, some days are going to require you to, to give a little more, but, but the days that don't, you don't absolutely have to, um, there, I think that's one thing I think that maybe I've learned a lot is that like, there is a power in being able to say no. Um, you know, like if you can't give something your all, or it's going to take away from something else, even if the opportunity, like if, even if it's tough to say no to an opportunity there, there is, you have to think long-term. And I think long-term, sometimes there is a real benefit to saying no to stuff if you, if you can, um, you know, and, and to know when the right time to say no is. There's a local promoter in town that I, I very much admire, and he he puts on amazing shows. And he, I remember bumping into him a bunch of times at South by, and I asked him like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Ah, oh, we're just gonna do a couple of things here and there. I'm just gonna grab some dinner and go back." And I'm thinking to myself at the time, like, "Why aren't you like going to the parties and like, why aren't you like, you know, taking every minute possible to do all these things while you're here?" Yeah, when it's new, you, you feel that way about it. Right. Yeah, like when it's you fresh. When it's fresh, you feel that way. But then now that I'm, I'll say, experienced in these things, I realize that, no, like you said, you, you you need to do, you need to be on the long run is that you need to, you know, pace yourself accordingly. You need to take your time, take care of yourself. You're going to honestly at the, you know, you may miss out on a few more things, but honestly, really in the long run, it really is going to help you out because what happens if now something comes up later on and now you feel like garbage, right? And yeah. You know, because that also happens too, where now you're either like actually sick or just are just so out of it that you can't do now this thing that is amazing that you just can't, you know, just came about. So I am a big believer in taking care of yourself. Don't overdo it. You know, enjoy what you can, but realize that you, you have to be finite with what you do, you know, at these conventions or conferences or festivals too. like any of those things, like pick and choose what you want to do. Or don't pick anything and just experience it and do it casually too, which I've I've also find equally as productive. Sometimes even more productive is to sometimes do it casually. Yeah, know yourself too. Like the other thing, I yeah. I got into decent shape over COVID. Like I got, you know, like I, I started running and, and eating a little better and things like that. And I and I, the the diet's still tough for me. But I think the biggest thing in, in recent years for me doing these conventions and stuff is like it sounds insane, like especially when you're that busy, but like. I still try to squeeze in a run or two or a workout or two over the course of like that week or so. And I 
as best I can. I try not to let my diet go to total hell, you know, during that time. And so like, I'll actually still be more cognizant of that stuff. Like, and, and I think that's really helpful, but like, it sounds insane and difficult when you're in the middle of it, but it's like, eh, you know, it, it has, there's actually a lot of benefit to that. And so, you know, this is also like a, a, a man firmly, like, you know, staring at 36, you know, like this, this is, this is a, this is a man with much less hair than he had when we met, you know, like this is a, uh, you know, this, this is a, you know, like this is, this is a, this is, this is like, like old guy wisdom starting to speak, you know, and it's, it's a little bit, um, you know, and like, and like time is really unkind and, and you start to feel that more and you're like, how do I, how do I, like, I know I can't reverse this, but can I slow it down at all? And you start to feel that more and, and uh, yeah, so I don't know, you know, the, like the, the, the things change a bit. Um, they do. I find that you you become why I like to use the word wiser. I like to say why wiser because we we are, we are experienced, right? And whether we started when we were in our 20s or in our late teens or even in our 30s, right, is that we become wiser the more that we do things. And now that we've done both of us have done quite a bit. I feel that, yeah, like the passing of time does become a factor, but at the same token too, is we feel a lot more self-aware and confident in ourselves because we've gone through things. We, we have done things. We, we know what this is like, we, because we have been in that situation before. And I, I think that's, that's also been very beneficial, but also at the same token too, is that I also make sure that I do take time for myself and not just like personal care which is so important but also enjoying yourself you know i still find time to play video games i still find time to to watch movies i still find time for i'm going to go to uh, disneyland for my birthday because i love disneyland so i will find ways to keep enjoyment into my life not only for the things that i'm passionate about but also just things that i just love to do in general it's i i whatever it takes, I would just find at least something in my time to do those things. Cause I do feel like that also keeps us young at heart, or I guess, if you will, what you said, uh, slows down the passage of time, if you will. Well, like, that's my thing is like, I talked about earlier, like I'm not a workaholic and that's a big part of it is like, no, no, I'm going to go see movies that I just am enjoying that I'm not necessarily writing about, or, um, I'm, you know, like I'm gonna, I'm, t I, video games are tough for me. That's the thing I have the hardest time making time for, but like, we're in the middle of football season. Like I love NFL football, which is like the, like people, when they find that out about me, they're like, what? Like, cause it, it's the one thing that doesn't make any sense. Like the opposite of everything else. Here. Like, it's like, the, it's like the one thing that makes no sense. And like, even my current sainted girlfriend, Shay, like we started dating right as football season was like ending. And then like come September of that year, we're dating like seven months, like six months. And she's like, wait, you like football? And oh, you don't just like football. Like you watch all football, you know, like I think that would have been a straight up deal breaker, like had she known in the beginning, you know? And so it's like, um, but yeah, like I make a lot of time for that, like this time of year, you know, like, cause I, I don't know, man, like some people operate differently. Like we talked about Mandy Kimes earlier, maybe the most workaholic, like mo the most yeah, she, the biggest uh, hustler I've ever met. Like Mandy is crazy, and I mean this. I love Mandy. And I mean this like complimentary. It is crazy. Mandy's work ethic is insane. Like it is, it, but it's like I've never. I'm built different. Like I'm just. I've always been built different. Like you know, like I, I I need time to do the stuff that I like, and 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 you know, that's just like that's just like life philosophy. That's not even like 
you know, related to my life or whatever. But but there are people that do what I do that are freelancers that like you feel the need to like hustle 24/7 all the time. Dude, like I think like you you got to like I don't know how sustainable that is. Like and I and my plan is to do this for as long as I can do it. So for me it's like about like a sustainable way to do it and and you know, I think that that's like what I look at more and more now is like and even in like a broader sense of like, okay, if I'm eating a little better, if I'm like, if I'm in slightly better shape, if, I, if, I'm, you know, if I, like if I'm actually taking care of myself, like when these opportunities come up, I might be better prepared to meet them, you know, like, and, and, you know, because I'm not 25 anymore. Like I'm not, you know, it, it's it, the last 10 years have, have done a lot to, to me, you know, like I have a bad hip. I, you know, like I, it's, you know, there, there's things that, that you know, you're noticeable. So it, it, that, that changes for sure. I do want to bring it back to uh slash film specifically. Can you, because you were talking about like, you know, freelancers, things like that too. Can you talk about your overall experience with slash film and of course, like how, how you got involved with them to begin with? Yeah. So um, I don't know if anyone knows this, but like we had a pandemic of, few years ago and oh, it was really? <laughs> it was really bad for a lot of people um uh no movie news or pop culture news was really happening uh, the entire movie industry shut down and my old job um that that was like devastating to my job like the way that my um the way that my job was set up at the time like it was kind of performance based and well there weren't like a lot of stories that were big like i was like i it was just like my i essentially was making like half or maybe a little more than half of what i had been making like and i wasn't making a lot of money before like I, i'm not gonna get into specifics but like it, it was really tough financially so like i i was trying to hang in there but it's not like anyone was hiring everyone was firing in my line so i end up like i started like working part-time at a drive-in movie theater out here plus doing the movie web stuff and that was the closest to customer service I'd done in a long time. But then luckily I got into start doing like social media and stuff for them. So it's a little bit, but I was still like two, three days a week. I'm out there taking tickets or like parking cars. You know what I mean? Like I was doing, you know, and that sucked. And then, well, I, I shouldn't say it's like I, the blue starlight drive in, in Austin, Texas is amazing. And, and shout out to Josh for the guy who runs it, but like, it was hard, you know, cause like I wasn't doing exactly what I love doing. And then it got so bad. I was doing like Postmates as well, part-time. So at one point I was kind of doing like three things and, you know, movie web just wasn't really like going to cut it anymore. And and the problem was that like, even once the pandemic started settling down, I was like applying for, I wasn't even just looking at, like, like movie writing jobs. Like I was like applying for like content writing jobs, like anything even outside of, and nobody, I'm not talking like not, not hiring me. I wasn't even getting emails back. And you're talking about, this was after five years of having like experience at like a high, high, high traffic, high volume website. And like, no one cared. Like, it was just like, you know, like I just, no one, I just nothing. So I was like, I thought my career was over. Like I genuinely, so I was like, I had went to Austin community college to see about like applying for a marketing program because a lot of journalists can somewhat easily transition to marketing. And I was like, you know, I remember I was walking out of Austin community college with like almost about to cry. And I just remember being like, you know what, man, you got to do what you loved for like seven years. I don't know any, you know, most people don't get to do what they love for a day in their life and get paid for it. You're going to leave this thing with your head held high and you're going to, I'm just like trying to pep talk myself. Like, you know, okay, fine. If, if you never do it again, you know, like, and then I, uh, I got to do, 
uh, I interviewed a director named Darren Lynn Bowsman, who directed like four of the Saw movies. And he had a spiral from the Book of Saw came out in 2021. It was the first in-person interview I did after COVID. And then I was uh, one of the PR people introduced me to uh, Jacob Hall, who was the uh, uh, head of Slash Film. And I we lived in Austin for years and never actually met each other. And we talked a little bit about some other stuff before. And then and then uh, shout out to Brandy Fawns, who who said to Jacob, she was like, oh, my God, you should totally hire Ryan. And uh, that sort of like led to uh, me applying for uh, what had happened to Slash Film got acquired by a bigger company and they were, as a result, hiring new people. And I ended up applying for one of these jobs and and um jacob you know because i think partially because of that situation with brandy was like okay and and the job interview went well but it was right after the acquisition so what happened was i was told like hey you have the job but like um we can't like make it official yet because there's a bunch of stuff moving behind the scenes so for like literally a month i don't hear anything and i'm doing postmates and i'm like trying to keep my life together and I just nothing was happening and then uh, finally like I get I, I think it's like over like I think like something went wrong and then finally Jacob sends me the the message like all right he, here's the paper you, you're you have it you're done you're our you're our new news desk writer you are and I just I'm in a Chipotle in the afternoon picking up some guy's order and I just start like openly crying like, and I mean, like crying, like, like to the point where I'm almost going to cry thinking about it now, like where I cannot stop crying because I'm so happy that like, you know, like, and, and again, I cannot emphasize this enough, like not even my career was as good as dead. Like nobody wanted to talk. And then Slash Film is one of those websites that got a lot of respect and deserves a lot of respect, I think. And um, so then that sort of put me in a bit of a different conversation. Like people started like, and I think because partially because Jacob and the other people that work there, they emphasize their writers. We feel like a team. So they'll be like, no, no, this is the voice behind this thing, you know? And, and so that sort of elevated my profile a little bit within like the community and people were like, oh, okay. You know? And then, and then they started paying attention to like, oh, you do this box office stuff. Well, we don't have anybody here that likes doing that. So why don't you go ahead and lean into that and move you and like, you know, credit, like no, no one else really let me lean into that before. So that, so then I sort of became like a box office guy within our industry. And then, you know, like some, because people like me, they were like, Hey, Fangoria is kind of looking for people to write for the website. I'm like, excuse me, you know? And like, I didn't even have any time because I was working a full-time job, but then like I, I talked to them and they're like, you know, we really want to work something out. And so then I started writing for like Fangoria, which is like, Jeez, I mean, you know, it's like it so blows my mind like, every day. Like I'm writing stuff for Fang. It's freaking Fangoria. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh my god! Like if my uncle were here and I could tell him that, like it's just you know, so so you know, and then it's just the you know, then because you're writing for these publications, people know about and care about. You know, so then it all sort of becomes a bit of a different thing. And and you know, very thankfully now, I feel like I'm in a place where if if I if slash film didn't work out or something i i would have a fighting chance of staying in the industry whereas before i really felt like i didn't um but yeah i mean i i i hold on to that moment in that chipotle like like i i tried not to ever let go of it. like don't like i i don't know how other people feel about stuff but i don't i love this so much like i love it so deep in my bones and i just like i don't know 
like I spent my entire life watching like my mom hate her job and like other people hate their job. And like, you spend so much time working to hate it. Like I view this as an absolute gift. Like I get to love what I do. And like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it forever, but God, for as long as I get to do it, like, you know, I want to like, I, I don't ever want to have a day where I like, I like forget that I love it, you know, like, and, and I don't know, like if, if even like one person listening to this is like, hell yeah, like, that's great. Like, I don't, you know, but um, yeah, I don't know, man. That's like, that's just like a life philosophy thing for me, but that was like, this is literally one of the best moments of my life. Like, you know, like thinking that it's over for you and then like not realizing that like your, your career's like honestly about to just like start in a way that you never could have imagined. We can start wrapping up some things here. Um, and, uh, I do have a couple of, uh, fun questions for you to, to kind of end this interview. Let's do it. The first question I have for you is what was the very first concert that you ever went to? Uh, I remember this vividly. My stepdad was very insistent that I had to be at least 15 years old to go to a concert. So literally, like, I think it was like exactly a week after I turned 15, the White Stripes were playing Mesa Amphitheater on the Elephant Tour. So we're talking like when Seven Nation Army was like a new song. 20 years ago, kids. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it was like literally good. My stepdad, good to his word, was like, Okay, you're 15. Go. So my buddy Don, his mom took us. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, Mesa Amphitheater still to this day my favorite concert venue. I love Mesa Amphitheater. I could not think of a better concert to have been to. So the next one I might be able to guess, but I'm not going to say it. it <laughs> if you were only able to watch one film for the rest of your life, what would that one film be? This is brutal because, like, I know like the one movie. But like, let me be clear, like Star Wars is my religion. So like, I, I would have to leave a large portion of my religion behind. But uh, Jurassic Park is the, yep. the there's, yeah, there's no like, <laughs> I, I couldn't, so well, but I, I, I can't, I, I can't, if anyone wants to understand a little bit of my love for Jurassic Park, uh, you can go find a movie web article card called uh, saying hello and goodbye to Jurassic Park the ride and it was me documenting my experience uh, getting to go on Jurassic Park the ride for the very first time on the last weekend it was ever open wow. um, and uh, and uh, again you talk about like one of my life experiences like you know that uh, and again getting to document that for my job is incredible but yeah I I love uh, Jurassic Park to me is is I always joke like you know, you talk about like mankind's greatest accomplishments and like, you know, we got to the moon and like Spielberg filmed the T-Rex breakout sequence. It's like right there. It's right there for me. And uh, like Star Wars would be impossible for me to leave behind. But like there's comics, there's novels, there's books, there's like there's an expanded universe with Star Wars. Like, I don't know that I could fill that void anyway with like without Jurassic Park. So that's probably my answer. We talked a lot about philosophies and you know about you know about just your career in general but how to you know try to live your life but if you were only able to give one piece of advice to somebody who's looking to start in journalism what would that one piece of advice be i mean look the the landscape is changing a lot and like right now like ai especially right now and all these things like every day you see that there's some website or publication that you love that is just straight up shutting down or firing a bunch of people or like any anyone that wants to get into this now like you better be sure you want to do it 
And you better be sure, like, you must have a calling to do this. Because, like, the avenues for making actual money doing this, especially now, like, you know, I I mean, that's just not, you know, that's, there are fewer every single day, there are less good paying jobs doing this. So, like, only go to journalism if you are called to journalism. Like, if you feel like, I can't imagine doing anything else. If you can imagine doing anything else, go do that thing. Like, I, I that's that's what I, like, you got to treat this like the way actors treat acting or like something. This must be a calling for you. Now, depending on what other kind of journalism you want to go into, your path, whatever, like, there are lots of other bits of advice I could maybe give from my own experience or people I've seen, but that is the biggest thing, like without being able to predict the future, like that I could tell people like you, if you want to do this, you must feel compelled, explore other things, see how they feel. And if you still feel absolutely compelled to do this, even then maybe consider still not doing it. But if, if like, if it is still the only thing you can imagine yourself doing, then you will find a way. Like, because I found a way, like, I, I I don't know anyone that does this that has my story way in. It's, it's yeah, like, you can go get a four-year degree and get an internship and maybe get a job. Like, there's, there's of course, that path or there's my path. There's other path. But, like, if you really, really, really want to do this, like, and you feel compelled, you'll find your way. I don't want to tell you how to find your way because, like, my way isn't your way. But, like, that's the only thing that I can say. Like, you must, like, consider that and really consider that. So there we go. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for doing this. This is literally this interview was 10 years in the making to to from from where we first met. And yeah, you- our fr- our friendship started like I, I can't emphasize this enough. Like when, when Mike did uh, the Radio Adventure Club podcast with Gabe Cabanda, we should shout out. Oh Gabe. God, Gabe uh, yeah, he's also Gabe the only live performance on the Radio Adventure Club. Our second <laughs> uh, first live performance, second to do it. But uh, but yeah, Gabe played a song to this day that still gets stuck in my head. Everyone's walking called Don't Be Lying. Uh-huh. And uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, but my but my, my, we Mike, we had never I don't think we'd said a word to each other other than like setting it up. And yeah. and we just got to know each other on that podcast. And and, and then we saw each other at events and, and we just became pals and, and, you know, because we bonded over nerdy stuff. And, and I still remember being at Arizona Mills after that Dr. Strange IMAX preview and like oh, sitting yeah, there right. like talking about the footage we had seen and like, and all this. So yeah, like it's, 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 it's this, uh, like our, our friendship started on a podcast 10 years ago. Like, and so I'm, I'm actually very happy to be able to now, you know, uh, hopefully this was of some use to your audience. Like I know that a lot of people that listen to you are more music focused, but hopefully this was, you know, it's some, it's of, of some not boring use to your, to your listeners. Oh no, there's plenty in here. So I really appreciate your time and appreciate your friendship. And thank Mike, you. Mike, I, I, I just thank you. And I just want, like, I will say this on the record, like for whoever's listening, I, 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 I know we don't talk as much as we used to, but I love you, man. Truly. Like you're, I love you to death and I, and I will, and you are good people. And I, and I would just want that said on this show. Like I want people to hear that. I want your listeners to hear that. I love you. And you're the best man. I love you too, man. Thank you so much for listening to Creatives Prevail. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave us a review. They are an immense help. Now go out there and make something happen.